This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And welcome to the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. My name is Howie Silberger and we are live until, well, 9 p.m. tonight. Right here on truetalkradio.com. Feel free to give us a call. 1-877-669-1292 is the number to dial. That's 1-877-669-1292. Coming up after 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by my long-suffering producer, Sheldon Eric Freed. He will be here uh, after 8 o'clock. We, um, we've been covering the Just for Last Festival, and Sheldon's gone to a couple of shows already, and uh, we'll want to talk to you about those shows and, uh, and a whole lot more right here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Of course, lines were always open once again. The number to call is one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 So how many times have you ever had a weird dream? And after that dream happens, you, um, you wake up and you're like, was that real? Was that fake? I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what that was. Has that ever happened to you? I, I'm sure it has. So the other night, I, uh, I had a dream that, um, that one, of my, uh, one of my close associates, somebody that, uh, that I know for a long time, had died. Th- this was a dream I had. And then I went to the funeral, and I went to the shiva house, and, uh, and, and I, we did the whole mourning thing, the whole, the whole Jewish mourning thing. And I woke up from the dream, and it just felt so darn real. And I was like, wow, um, did he actually die? So I called him. And uh, normally I try not to, uh, not to call dead people. I generally don't do that. But uh, I called him, and, um, and he was very much alive. Thank God he was very, he's very much alive. And I, I don't know where that dream came from. And, and sometimes I think about it, and I think... Wow, some dreams are, are, are reality. Some dreams feel so true and so real that that you that you kind of figure that, that they're true and that, that they happened. I um this this all comes this all you know comes crashing to my mind when I think about the destruction of the of the of the city of Jerusalem. That happened four thousand years ago and and to me I wasn't around then. Uh, to me, that, that seems like a, a long, far-off dream. Yet Jews commemorate the destruction of Jerusalem uh, every year. Uh, you know, for three weeks in the summertime, Jews, uh, Jews go into a state of mourning, and they commemorate the destruction, the siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And this is what we do. And then we have a 24-hour fast, which commemorates the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, and I um, and I think about Tisha B'av, and I think about the month of Av, and the three weeks before. Um, and I um, and I wonder how many other people, how many other nations, commemorate 
the destruction of the state of Israel, uh, the destruction of the, uh, of, of the city of Jerusalem. How many other countries, how many other nations, how many other people care about their capital city 3,000 years ago? And I can't think of any. None at all. Just the Jewish people. And we, we talk about Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem as if it happened yesterday, as if it happened last week. And we know that it happened thousands of years ago. And then I, I think about the Arabs who live in the region. And I, I think about their, 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 new, um, their new way that they're trying to destroy Israel by saying that the Jews have no historical connection to, to uh, Jerusalem at all. And, and I think about that. And, and I look at the Jews who are going to be fa- who fasted today. Today was the beginning of the three weeks, the beginning of the time period where, where, where the siege of Jerusalem started 2,000 years ago. And I think about the Jews that fasted today, commemorating a event that happened over two over or two millennium ago. And I think, on the other hand, of the people saying that Jews have no connection to the land whatsoever. And what a contrast! What a crazy contrast! But that's, you know, that, that kind of contrast isn't, isn't unusual. We see it a lot. For instance, I, I, I'm going to university. I'm, I'm taking courses on, at, at, on university, in university. And sometimes I get to speak to people. And, and, and these young people on, on university campuses, they tell me that you can't be racist anymore. You can't use racist language. You have to watch every word you say because you can't be racist. And then at the same time, they tell me I suffer from white privilege. So they tell me that I can't judge people based on their skin color, based on their ethnicity. But I am evil because I'm white. You, you see this dichotomy? You see this, you see this problem here? That I'm a privileged white person. So I can't judge people based on their skin color. I, I can't I can't say that I hate I hate whatever skin color I hate green people. But at the same time, they could say that they hate me because I'm white, or that I'm evil because I'm white, or whatever. I don't understand the contrast. I don't understand how that's possible. Why they're allowed to be racist? And I get skewered if I say the wrong word on my radio show. I don't understand why I'm not as privileged as they are to be as racist as I want to be on my radio show. I mean, theoretically speaking, I could be as racist as I want on this show. I own the station and uh, I own the airwave that that we're broadcasting on. So uh, I could be as racist as I want and we're on the Internet, which means there there are no CRTC or FTC rules that I have to worry about. So I can pretty much do what I want on this show. I don't because I'm not a racist guy. I don't because we, we, we do the show here on, on the Internet the same way we did it when we were on AM radio. 
Nothing has changed. The show is exactly the same. We hold ourselves to the same standards we held ourselves when we were on AM radio. So uh, I haven't changed the show whatsoever. It's the exact same show that it was then. So I, I'm, so so I wouldn't do it here, but I can, and and I just trying to get somebody to explain to me because I don't understand why it's okay for some people to be racist and some people to say white people are evil, and uh, and if you and if you're a white person, you are the devil. And it's, it's not okay for white people or, or anybody to say stuff about other people. Why is it okay to be racist against white people? I mean, if you have an opinion on this or you want to uh, explain this to me, I, I, would, I would appreciate that. The, uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. It's also about sexism. I, I, it, it makes me laugh every time I hear someone say, well, he tried to mansplain things. Whoa, 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 one second. What? What the heck are you talking about mansplaining? Well, a man is not is not a um, a male is not allowed to have a an opinion. A man has to sit around and not have an opinion, and and if we have an opinion on something, we can't explain our opinion on it. Otherwise, we're mansplaining. Give me a break. We can't have a conversation. There's no such thing as conversations anymore. It's either you're being aggressive, you're being microaggressive. Uh, yeah, microaggression. Yeah, when you're talking to people and you're insulting them, you don't even realize that you're insulting them because you're using regular language and having a regular conversation. At least in your mind, it's a regular conversation. But they're getting all, 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 all insulted by it because to them, you are, you are, um, you're insulting them. Microaggressions. We we are living in a society. That has decided that victimhood is the only hood. That's, that's, that's the way they want to be. They, they want to be victims. Everybody wants to be a victim today. And the higher level of victimhood that you are in, the higher level that you could find yourself in this, in this, in this uh, economy of victimhood, the better you are, the better off you are, right? So if, if you're a victim uh, at the highest level, so you're a transgender, um, black, transgender, uh, whatever, you're, then you're the highest level of victim, then your opinion counts more than, let's say, a straight white male. Because straight white males are evil. You've you got to be evil to be a straight white male. Because I can't judge people based on their skin color, but I could be judged based on my skin color. You know, nobody should be judged based on skin color, that is probably the only thing that we possess that we have absolutely no control over. It is probably the only thing that we possess that that we can't say, uh, well, yeah, um, uh, yeah, well, no. <laughs> we can't say anything because we, we have no control over our skin color. Our skin color is what we're born with. And I don't control what I was born with. I didn't choose to be born. I didn't choose what color I was when I was born. So discriminating against someone based on their skin color is kind of ridiculous. It's, 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 it's really scary and sad. And at the same time, society seems to be allowing it to happen to white people and to males. If you're a male at a university campus today, you are a rapist. You are an evil person. Even though you may have never have raped anybody, you may never have attempted to rape anybody. You may never have even spoken to a woman. 
Oh, am I allowed to say woman? I'm not even sure I'm allowed to say the word woman anymore. It, it is absolutely ridiculous. The, uh, the, the way the world is going now, the direction we've headed in, the direction we've allowed ourselves to head in, is absolutely ridiculous. And the only reason that this remains a, a viable way to live life, the only reason that this remains the, the, the way that people, um, that, you know, the only reason anyone takes this seriously is because we allow it to happen. We don't stop and say, hey, uh, you know, this is stupid. Come on, folks, let's get with reality. This is, this is dumb. We don't do that. Because we're all afraid of insulting the next person. Well, what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of insulting somebody? I've never been afraid of insulting somebody. People have come onto the show for years. 20-odd years I've had the show. In 20-odd years, people have come onto the show. And over those years, I guarantee that uh, at least half of the guests that have come onto the show and, and have been interviewed on this show have, been, um, have, in one way or another, been insulted. And it doesn't bother me. I don't care. You could be as insulted as you want. It doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me. And the reason it doesn't bother me is quite simple. Because I know how to have a rational conversation. I, I know what rationality is. I know I know how to how to talk, how to how to how to think, how to rationally think. I know how to tell people that they're full of bunk. I know how to, how, how to say, hey, are you insane? I know how to do it. And because I know how to do that, people are afraid of me. I'm telling you, people are afraid. They're afraid of people who speak up. So if we all spoke up, if we all bothered to to, to get up and say this is ridiculous and we're not going to take this anymore and like no way if we all got up and said that and did that this probably wouldn't this is the way the world is right now probably wouldn't exist we would probably live in a much better and and a much friendlier world than we do right now but we don't allow that to happen and for some reason, we're afraid to say anything. And that's where the scary situation comes in. And that's why the world has become a very, very scary place. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We're heard live every Sunday from 6 to 9 p.m. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network, we'll take a little break. When we come back, the Howie Silver Show continues. Feel free to call in. The number to call, 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. This is a download from the BBC. If we could find a way of adapting the human body to sleep vertically, we could eliminate a lot of the world's pressing problems. 
For comfort, a single adult takes up to 7 meters squared of bedroom space, or 75 square feet. 70 such adults could stand shoulder to shoulder in the same volume. If we halve this number to increase their comfort, then 35 adults could sleep in a space that sleeps one today. This 35-fold reduction in footprint means less buildings, less cooling, less heating, and even, even if all the other areas like corridors and kitchens remain the same. Put into context, the 7.3 billion population of the world would use a footprint 50 kilometers by 50 kilometers, which is my prescient model because this is roughly two and a half times the city of Lagos or 6,000 Tiananmen squares. We would need strapping in, of course, because it's believed that in deep sleep our muscles turn to jelly. <laughs> That's lovely, Hanif. Thank you very much. This idea of getting everyone to sleep vertically, of course, it saves space and energy. But what you're really getting at is building upwards, isn't it? Not just buildings, but making people go upwards <laughs> so that we don't spread out because the logic is there's more space up there in the sky and there's only a limited amount down here on Earth. So it's rational and efficient, but I do wonder about comfort. How do you solve the problems of comfort in engineering terms, Hanif? I think you, when I said you need to be strapped in, I, I, I was referring to really, um, I'm, I'm hoping Fez will come in on this, because I think when you do relax and you're strapped in into some comfortable cushion type of uh, furniture, let's say, you can be quite comfortable and sleep. And I know that there are... Um, and I'm not an expert on yoga, but there are people in the world of yoga who always tell me that, you know, being upside down for two or three hours is quite comfortable <laughs> and you can fall asleep. The question is whether we can get into deep sleep, and, and which is what drives comfort, and then be able to respond to that um, as, as and when we get up. I think that can be done by designing the furniture differently. I hadn't thought of the yoga standing in your head. <laughs> no, before we bring in Fez, what about you, Kirsty? You're the scientist around the table. Well, Physical problems of stacking humans upright while they so sleep. So I'm all for saving space and energy, so I can see its advantages. And there are some animals that can sleep standing up, but I think we might be fighting against millions of years of human evolution here. I can't think of any primate species which sleeps standing up. They generally... Rec are reclining in some kind of way. What if so, we were strapped in? Wouldn't <laughs> help. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that would. I can see that would be good in stopping me from falling over. I'm not sure it would help me actually sleep. Well, we said that about cars only a hundred years ago. I think there was a concern when we invented cars whether we could deal with whiplash, for example, mm -hmm. because the human body wasn't designed to to deal with shock in that position. So I'm kind of uh, still confident that we could find a way with a slight slope, maybe, not completely <laughs> vertical. That's why I gave it some elbow You, you do sound very serious about this. I guess if you're an engineer, you think everything's solvable, solvable yeah, in the absolutely. end. I'm just trying to think rash. about sleeping with 35 of my family. <laughs> <laughs> in the, in the proximity comfort. I'm quite serious about this because I think that we use far too much space in our bedrooms. I think there's just too much of it. Well, there's been so, a recent... you know, maybe even slightly sloping, if not totally vertical, could be quite a serious idea. <laughs> it's already existing in office furniture. We're, we're moving more and more towards standing working spaces on, on uh, small computers rather than sitting. It's just to condense space, but it's also better for your well-being in general. It's much healthier. 
If you've enjoyed this BBC podcast, why not try others, such as In Our Time, where Melvin Bragg discusses the history of ideas. To find out more, visit bbc.com slash podcast. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And welcome back to the Howie Silberger Show. My name is Howie Silberger, and we are live until 9 o'clock. Numbers to call 1-877-669-1292. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. So, uh, I, I've been watching once again the lefty meltdown over Donald Trump and his comments about the his done his comments about the um, about these three senators or congresspersons. Sorry, they're not senators; they're congressmen. Uh, I, I've been watching this meltdown of the uh, of of the left attacking Donald Trump because he seemed to make a, a statement that some appear some some claim was racist. And I, I read his statement and I, I looked at his statement over and over and over again and I realized that um, that he never mentioned race in his statement. He he never mentioned names in his statement. He uh, he only um, he only said that if you don't support America and you don't want to support America, then perhaps you should leave. And I can't say I disagree with him all that much. Look, the uh, the four the four congresswomen, whom everyone assumed he was talking about, who assumed themselves that that's who he was talking about. Those four have been anti-America, anti, uh, anti-Israel, anti-Jewish. They've been supporting fascism for, for months and months, the years, some of them. How they got elected is way beyond me. And it's, it's very sad that these people are, have been elected and these people are, are, are actually serving in the, um, in, in the Congress. It's, it's very sad that the American government has come to a point where Donald Trump is president and these people are serving in the Congress. It's 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 actually horrific that this is what the this is what the American people have come to. But how did we get here? How did we get to a point where a bunch of radicals, uh, from the president on down, could be elected into the Congress and the presidency? How did this happen? And I have to tell you, it didn't happen on its own. It didn't happen in a vacuum. Years ago. It was decided years ago that the type of education that we are giving our children is perhaps too high. Parents decided that they did not want their children working as hard as they're working in school. So they pressured the government to lower the standard of education. Because they didn't want to see their little Johnnies and little Marys doing homework till 6 o'clock at night. 
They wanted him to be free and to be children and to be able to do all the stuff children do and not spend their entire life learning and, and, and being a student. Now, I don't blame them. I, you know, homework sucks, and I don't blame them. But homework does a lot more than just, than just take up little Johnny and little Mary's time. What homework does is it, it provides the student with a discipline. They know that before they could do what they want to do, they have, they have something else they have to do. It sets them up for when they go out to work. It teaches them a work ethic. But mommy and daddy didn't want that work ethic for their kid. They didn't want their kid to learn this. They wanted their kid to be running freely, chasing the butterflies in the streets. And so they pressured the school and the school and the schools and the school boards all caved to the pressure and they stopped giving homework. By not giving homework, little Johnny and little Mary were not, they were not practicing what they were learning in class. So without that practice, their level of proficiency in what was taught in class was lowered. And it was taking a lot longer for teachers to teach the basics. And there's only a certain amount of hours in a day. And only a certain amount of hours that teachers teach young people. And so suddenly, little Johnny and little Mary's Education wasn't as good as their parents. And then, when the next generation came along, and they were struggling, trying to keep up with advanced math and advanced sciences, and English and another language, whether it be Spanish or French, The next generation of parents who saw that their generation of parents had pressured the schools to, to, to cut back on the amount of work they had to do did the exact same thing. They pressured the schools to cut back on the amount of work their kids had to do. And suddenly you had a school system that wasn't teaching anything. You had children growing up the future leaders of tomorrow growing up and having absolutely no idea about anything and no will to learn anything. No motivation whatsoever. Nothing at all. Then came Google. And that killed education altogether. Because now little Johnny and little Mary are saying, why do I have to know this? And their parents, of course, are backing them. And they're saying, why do I have to know this? Why is this important for me to know in my head when I could just pull out my phone and have the information in 13 seconds? Why do I have to store that information in my head? And suddenly general knowledge disappeared. 
Schools stopped teaching critical thinking. And the population became a bunch of slaves. They became a bunch of slaves to whatever rhetoric is delivered to them that sounds plausible. bunch of slaves when I say slaves I mean intellectual slaves who believe everything they see on television who now get their news and express their views through pictures with five word captions called memes this is what we've come down to if you take a look at Facebook, and I know Facebook's a little passe, but if you take a look at Facebook, take a look at Instagram, take a look at all these social media outlets and see how people are arguing politics. You see two things, especially among lefties, but even among the right. You see two things. The first thing you see are the people who argue based on memes. So they'll get a picture, and the picture will show a picture of a... Um, uh, of Trump and a picture of Hitler, and it'll say, it'll say uh, Trump equals Hitler, and uh, both guys uh, confiscated gun, whatever. There was some, some 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 vague connection in policy between Trump and Hitler, and then the 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 picture that they get would say, look at that, it's exactly the same. Trump is Hitler. So a, a giant leap of intellectual faith to connect Trump to Hitler. And people receive this and they look at it and say, oh, that sounds plausible. Okay, it must be true. And they'll share it a billion times. And then suddenly you have people arguing that Trump is Hitler. And then you have networks like CNN who spend 24 hours a day comparing Trump to Hitler. And now suddenly Trump is Hitler. And you wonder... Do the people who are, who, are, who are calling Trump Hitler, do these people even know who Hitler was? Do they know what he, was, what he did? Why he's evil? Because a recent survey said that uh, 80% of North American youth have no clue what the Holocaust is. So calling Trump Hitler should be meaningless to them. But it's not. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I'm Howie Silberger. It's the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. This is sixty second civics from the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. Congress can have a role in who is elected president only under a few circumstances. One example is a tie vote in the Electoral College. This has happened only once in the election of 1800. Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr each received 73 electoral votes. The House voted 10 to 4 with two abstentions for Jefferson after 36 successive votes. If no candidate wins an Electoral College majority, the House of Representatives selects the president by majority vote. Each state is allowed one vote. For example, in 1825, neither Andrew Jackson nor John Quincy Adams received a 131-vote majority of Electoral College votes, the number then needed to win the presidency. 
Adams won in the House vote on the first ballot. In the United States, having separate elections for every office means that, unlike in Great Britain, it is possible for one party to control Congress, or for one party to control the House and the other the Senate, while a member of another party is president. So-called divided government is common in the United States. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, 60 Second Civics, where civic engagement only takes a minute. Truth is stranger than fiction, and this is the proof. This is Ripley's. Believe it or not. Sergeant Myron Cozier of San Diego, California, was shot in the throat in the Solomon Islands. The Japanese bullet severed his infected tonsils and left him otherwise unharmed and much relieved. Believe it or not. In a moment, I'll tell you about a funny election. A cigar store Indian was elected Justice of the Peace in Allentown, New Jersey, in 1883. The statue, clothed with the fictitious name of Abner Robbins, was duly placed on the ballot and elected by a margin of seven votes over the incumbent Sam Davis. Judge Davis, who'd held the office for many years, resigned in a huff when he learned that his successful opponent was a wooden Indian. Believe it or not. <laughs> Bigger show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Well, sometimes we all mess up, and I seem to have messed up. So let me、uh, let me correct myself this time around.、Uh, last time we went to break, I came back and I said,、uh, "You're listening to the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. We're live from six to nine p.m. No, we're not. We're live from seven to nine p.m. We're only on two hours, not on three hours. So I thank all of you who pointed out that I made a mistake. I appreciate it,、uh, and I, and I'm I'm happy to correct any mistakes I make. You know, that's one of the biggest criticisms I get is that. You never admit that you're wrong. That's what they tell me. You never admit that you're wrong, and I always admit when I'm wrong. If I make a mistake, I make a mistake, and、um, and I'm never afraid to say that I made a mistake. Does that make any sense to you?、It、makes sense to me. If I if I if I mess up, I will admit that I met that I messed up, and、uh, and I messed up. So I apologize、uh, to anybody who was a little confused by that. Um, but、um, I messed up, and that is live radio. Sometimes we slip our tongues, and that's what happens. So my apologies. I'll try to make it not happen again. I can't guarantee it, but I'll promise. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. Let's try this now. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We are heard live every Sunday night from seven to nine p.m. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Like us on Facebook, True Talk Radio.、Uh, just look up the, the Howie Silberger Show on Facebook. Like us, and you'll have all the information that you need in order to、um, to to listen to the show. You'll have you'll know when we're on. You'll know who's going to be on with us. All the information that we have 
will be will be uh, uploaded and is uploaded every single week to the Howie Silberger Show page on the on uh, on Facebook. So if you're curious, is Howie on tonight? You don't have to post it on my Facebook page. You don't have to. You don't have to. You'll respond to any of my postings with "Are you on the air tonight?" You don't have to do that. All you got to do is like the Howie Silberger Show page on Facebook, and um, and by doing that, all the information will come to you. And uh, and that's really what you want, right? You want it to be, um, you want it to be transparent. You want it to be. You want it to be, I don't know, you want it to be easy. And I want to make it easy for you. I really do. So that's it. That's all you have to do. All you got to do is load it up and go to Facebook and say, hey, I'm going to like the Howie Silberger show. Because I want all the information about Howie Silberger show. And that's the only way I could get it. It's quite simple. Life is easy. We tend to make it complicated, but in general, life is is very easy. All you want to do all you have to do is make it easy. All you, all you have to do is want it to be easy. Life is extremely easy. Now one thing that is not easy though, and uh, I'll tell you it's it's extre- it's really not easy. And it is, um, what is not easy is uh, covering the Just for Last Festival. Now, we've been covering the Just for Last Festival for at least 17, 18 years. Uh, we, um, we, 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 we've been covering it continuously uh, for the entire festival for, for years and years and years. And this year is no any, not any different. We're, we're covering it this year. Sheldon Eric Freed, my uh, long... Suffering producer is the guy who's who's putting together these um, he's putting together these uh, reports on different shows. I'm the one who's interviewing the guests. I'm interviewing the comedians. We interviewed a couple of comedians last week, and Sheldon is putting out these these reviews of the show because he's going to see the shows and he's reviewing them. And so uh, I, want, I want to share with you the first two. We're going to start with one, then we'll play the other. Uh, and the first one was the ethnic show. We went. To, I actually went to the show too, and we went to see the premiere of the ethnic show. It is available. Uh, tickets are available for the ethnic show at hahaha.com, and it's playing all week next week. So f- make sure you go and see it. Uh, the ethnic show. Sheldon Freed saw the ethnic show, and this is what he had to say. fun-filled time of the year. Yep, you guessed it, live from the funniest city and country in the world, Montreal, Canada. We are pleased, excited, and honored in presenting to all of you listeners out there on the Howie Silberger Show, the 37th edition of the Just for Laughs Festival, our continued coverage on reviews of some of the best shows, along with the best comics in the world, from all over the world that all come together each and every year to entertain and make people laugh. 
One of the most popular shows other than the prestigious Just for Laughs comedy galas at Place des Czars, Sal Wilford Pelche, are The Ethnic Show and The Nasty Show. Tonight's entertainment report will be on The Ethnic Show at Club Soda. Club Soda is certainly one of my most favorite venues around town, and the atmosphere here is nothing short of spectacular. From the start, there's always upbeat entertainment, even before the host of the ethnic show, Cristela Alonso, sets foot on the stage to get the people in the mood, ready to laugh, and begin the ethnic show. Now here is Cristela Alonso talking about her mother being brutally honest and how one changes their minds after a person is no longer with us. Here on the Just for Laughs Entertainment Report, with yours truly, Sheldon Eric Freed, on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. My mom was really honest. She didn't have a lot of friends. She was, she was very blunt, you know? Like, you know like when your friends fish for compliments? They're like, I'm so fat. I said, I'm so fat. You know, like they're doing that because they're trying to force you to give them a compliment. You know, like, oh, no, girl, you're not fat. No. My mom would never do that. When any one of her friends would fish for compliments, she would just agree with whatever they said, you know? Like, I'm so fat. I, yes, you are. I, yes. No. I was just telling Diana, Sophia is fat. No, 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 I'm glad you said it because I was thinking about it. It's weird though, because she was she was honest, and I love that about my mom. She was so honest. And I wish we I wish we could be more honest as a culture, but we're not. Have you ever noticed that when regardless of what anyone does in their life, when they die, they're never <laughs> When someone dies, he died. What an angel. There was a guy in my neighborhood, Jose. Jose was in a gang. He did drugs. He would break into all of our houses. We always knew it was him. All the Mexican women in the neighborhood would get together and talk about Jose, you know? Jose. He's never gonna do with his life. He broke into my house twice this month. And one day, Jose gets shot in a burglary he's committing. And a half hour later, these women are talking about him like he's a saint, you know? Jose's dead? That was Cristela Alonso, the host of The Ethnic Show on the Just for Laughs Entertainment Report. I'm Sheldon Eric Freed. Other comics that appeared on stage included Dave Merhage, Robbie Hoffman, Anthony DeVito, Danelle Rawlings, and Rafine Ha, Rafi Bastos. Many thanks to everyone at the Just for Laughs Festival for giving me the opportunity and attending this show and giving us here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network our continuing coverage on this iconic festival on the various shows that we will be attending throughout the festival. If you would like more information pertaining to shows, galas, ticket availabilities, anything pertaining to the Just for Last Festival, simply just laugh and go to the site. Well, I'm not saying laugh, but simply go to www.hahaha.com. 
www.howiesilverstein.com. Until next time, I'm Sheldon Eric Free. Keep it tuned right here on the Howie Silberger Show for the Just for Laughs Entertainment Reports on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much, Sheldon. That was, uh, that was, that was exciting. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, the Howie Silberger Show continues right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Feel free to call in 1 669 1292. This is Scientific American 60 Second Science. I'm Julia Rosen. In the last few decades, astronomers have discovered thousands of exoplanets orbiting other stars. Now, scientists want to know what they look like. Do they have oceans? Atmospheres? Researchers have even searched for signs of plant life and the glow of alien city lights, although they haven't found any yet. We've moved on from being excited about finding exoplanets to now having to get our kicks out of characterizing them. Moya McTeer, a graduate student at Columbia University and the host of the podcast, So You Think You Can Science. Last year, McTeer's advisor challenged her to find something else on exoplanets, evidence of extraterrestrial mountains, because mountains could offer clues about what's going on inside these planets. The way that those form is through the collision of tectonic plates or through lava building up in the same place over millions of years. And so that's one of the most exciting things, in my opinion, that can come out of this project, is actually being able to figure out what's underneath the surface of an exoplanet. The trick was how to do it. Modern telescopes are powerful, but they can't capture pictures of exoplanets. Instead, a common way astronomers detect them is by watching as they pass in front of their star, blotting out some of the light. McTeer riffed on this idea to find a way to look for mountains. And so what we're doing with this mountains project is saying, okay, if a planet has a mountain on it, and if that planet is rotating, then the mountain will show up in the silhouette, and the silhouette will change because the planet's rotating. So we can study that changing silhouette, that changing shadow, to get an idea of what the surface of the planet looks like. McTeer tested the technique by modeling how the rocky planets of our solar system would look through modern telescopes like the James Webb if they were far away. And we were pretty heartbroken when we found out that it wouldn't be possible. But McTeer calculated that it might be doable with something like the Extremely Large Telescope, which is currently under construction in Chile. Even this telescope probably wouldn't be able to measure the topography of a Mars-like body if it orbited a large star like our Sun. But if that planet circled a smaller star, like a white dwarf, it would block out enough light to be detectable. The research is in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. So one day soon, we may be able to confirm the existence of exoplanetary mountains. And with even better telescopes, maybe molehills. Or even moles. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American 60 Second Science, I'm Julia Rosen. This is a download from the BBC. My idea to make the world a better place is to get rid of all the school books and replace them with objects. So take artifacts from museums uh, and put them in the hands of school children. So for millennia, society was built around objects and things and tangibly feeling reality. So your identity and your past and your community was built around objects that were put into your hands. Today, we rely very heavily on text and text kind of belies an authority. An authority is given to the author that maybe they shouldn't have. It takes away decision-making from the reader, and uh, by placing objects, especially artifacts, 
you can increase empathy, you can uh, put decision-making. Uh, it teaches students ontology. It, it turns them from fact absorbers into investigators. So just imagine taking uh, uh, the Rosetta Stone or a Moonstone and putting it in the hands of, of students, or even taking a... <laughs> Even taking a, a, a rubber uh, toy raft from a, a refugee family that crossed the Mediterranean and telling students this, imagine what it was like putting uh, them in those shoes. Well, you sneaked in an extra five <laughs> or ten seconds there. So what do the, the other two think about this? Alex, do you think you'd change people's views on deep sea fish if they saw them alive rather than dead? Actually, uh, it probably would change their views on many deep sea organisms because when you see some of these really fantastic creatures from a, a deep sea robot or even if you're lucky enough a deep sea submersible you will see just how really beautiful they are and delicate i mean so delicate in fact that there is no real way for us to sample them so uh, many of the animals living in the deep water column rather than on the seabed for example are actually gelatinous and some of them are quite large so these are things like deep sea jellyfish what we call siphonophores which is another form of gelatinous creature so if people saw those animals and saw phenomena such as bioluminescence you know for real I think they'd be absolutely stunned so you'd happily uh, take the textbook, move it somewhere else and have a tank with, uh, with slime heads in it? Uh, yes, absolutely. Even slime heads look very attractive when they're alive and swimming around. Oscar, um, what do you think about getting rid of books? Most people have never seen the ships that we have now, never mind the ones of the future. Do you think that replacing a book with a ship would help? Yes, in many places it would help to really get uh, the students out at sea and experience the ship for real, that would definitely give them a better understanding of it. But uh, I would not like to ban the books altogether, or at least let the students have their iPads so they can read on them. Uh, because, I mean, reading is still a good way to learn. I think the, the key to learning is to have many different types and medias and methods. Then you can reach more people and and because people are different we learn in different ways so perhaps with a ship you'd need a model of a ship rather than a real one because i'm sure most most classrooms wouldn't accommodate a full-size ship well i would like to put the classroom on a ship of course not all the time but i mean have a have a floating classroom on board a ship and and go out there and experience the ship and the ocean so i think there are actually some ships that do have um classroom facilities on them and there's a lot, a lot of teachers that are sent on board ships as well going overseas. And Peter, what do you think about the uh, the slimy fish from the deep and uh, the ships turning up in the classroom? Yes, those are perfect examples. Uh, you know, when I put an, an artifact, an ancient artifact in somebody's hands, uh, a lot like it would be with the fish or with the ship, immediately the questions start flowing. And so I think that's... Um that's really what you need is you need engagement with the students, especially as people's attention spans get shorter and shorter. Objects kind of increase their attention spans, get them interested in, in questioning. If you've enjoyed this BBC podcast, why not try others, such as In Our Time, where Melvin Bragg discusses the history of ideas. To find out more, visit bbc.com slash podcast. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 
Coming up after 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by Sheldon Eric Freed. He is my long-suffering producer here on the Howie Silver Show. He'll be joining me after 8 o'clock. Howie, the Howie Silver Show airs every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Feel free to like us on Facebook, facebook.com. Search for the Howie Silberger Show. Like us. You could download the uh, podcast. Uh, you could uh, you could download the app, the True Talk Radio app. It's the easiest way to listen to the show. Just go to uh, the Howie Silberger Show page, and uh, the links are all there. Or you can find the app in your favorite app store. Just look for the True Talk Radio Network app. And we're there. We're in all, we're in all the app stores. So you'll, you'll be able to find us there. So uh, so, so, so these, these hypocrites... These hypocrites are, are condemning Donald Trump for uh, for being a racist. They're calling him a racist. And then, and then when I uh, when I pointed out earlier this week that um, that that these these four congresswomen weren't so nice themselves, and when I pointed out that one of the congresswomen had made a racist statement and was being supported by David Duke, you see, one of the big things was uh, at the beginning of the Trump presidency was that the people who, so, who didn't support Trump, the people who hated Donald Trump, uh, said that because the Nazi, the KKK parties, the white supremacists, uh, they, they endorsed Donald Trump, that made, him, that made him a white supremacist. So he, he was a victim. He was guilty of being the same as some of his uh, followers. When I pointed out that David Duke and the KKK came out this week in support of Elan Omar, the congresswoman, one of the congress, one of the four congresswomen, one of the four lefty congresswomen, that the uh, KKK came out in favor of her and condemned Donald Trump and came out in favor of her. And I asked the same guy who said that Donald Trump is a Nazi because the KKK supported him. I asked that same guy, is now Elan Omar, is she a Nazi now? The guy refused to answer the question. He tried to skirt around the question. He tried to find every way around, but he absolutely refused to answer the question, which I found really funny. So here you are. Here you are being a hypocrite. And, and there's one thing I really hate is hypocrisy. I can't stand hypocrisy. I don't like when people are hypocrites. We try to be here on the show, and, uh, and in general, I try to be as consistent as possible. In my political point of view, uh, sometimes sometimes I contradict myself, I know, but uh, sometimes you have no choice. But in general, I try to be as consistent as possible, because if you're not consistent, how do you have credibility? If you're not willing to say that I'm holding everyone to the same standard, and I don't care what that standard is, uh, you pick a standard and you're holding everyone to that same standard... I will respect you a lot more than if you hold one person to one standard and somebody else to another standard. Then there's, you're not going to get much support from me. You're not going to get much from me if you don't hold everyone to the same standard. Because it's very hard to argue politics with people who change the, change the rules every time that you, you, you have a political point. So you, you make a point. You, you've made the political point. And suddenly the rules have all changed. If there's no standard, there's no arguing. You can't, you can't argue a political point unless you have a standard, that you, a baseline standard. You can't do a medical experiment or any kind of experiment unless you have a baseline. And the baseline has to be, um, has to be consistent. So this is where the issue lies. That I have not been able to find anybody who argues the left wing 
on a consistent basis that is willing to say, all right, I might condemn what Donald Trump said. I might not agree with him. I might think that what he said is reprehensible. And nobody should be told to leave the country. Nobody should be told to go home. Fine. And I might believe that Donald Trump is a misogynist, homophobic pig. This is what people could tell me. And I, and I would respect him if they told me this. But on the same hand, I condemn what these, these congresswomen have done. While Donald Trump shouldn't have said what he said to them, these congresswomen shouldn't behave the way they're behaving either. Now, the two aren't correlated. I understand that. But at the same time, at the same time, I'm not standing with these congress ladies. I'm not saying that I stand with them because that would be ridiculous. But I am saying that both sides should watch their behavior. Both sides should watch what they say. Both sides should remember that they are representing a constituency. They're representing 200 and almost 300 million people. And both sides should remember that it's a privilege to be in the positions they are. And it's a responsibility to be in the positions they are. This is what they should remember, that it's a responsibility. And shirking the responsibility or pushing it off or, 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 or not taking it seriously. Only goes to destroy America. It goes to destroy democracy. It goes to destroy everything that the country is built on. And that would be terrible. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. We're heard live every Sunday night from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could uh, feel free to call in. The number to call is 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. You can feel free to call in. The lines are always open, and we'll always take your calls. We're going to take a, uh, a little break. And when we come back, we will be joined by my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Fried. He will be here. He'll be on the show with me. You could call in and talk to him, too. It would be, uh, it would be great if we got to talk to you. Because uh, I, I think it's, it's important that, um, that Sheldon speaks to people as well as I speak to people. It's important that we speak to you, so feel free. Just pick up that phone and dial that number. It's a free call. It's a free call. Imagine that. A, a 100% free call. So feel free to use it. I'm Howie Silberg. It's the Howie Silberg Show. We'll be right back. And welcome to the Just for Laughs Entertainment Report on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. I'm Sheldon Eric Freed. There is no question that the Nasty Show is exactly what that title means, and a lot more dirtier. Leave your political correctness and possibly any other vulnerabilities at the door. If you're able to do this, then you will hear some of the funniest, raw, dirtiest jokes from some of the best comedians here at the Just for Laughs Festival. 
both the ethnic as well as the nasty shows opened up the Just for Last Festival every year. And there is no doubt that both Club Soda as well as the MTELUS Theatre venues are perfectly equipped to handle all of the laughter. And for everyone who leaves, having a great time as well as a sore stomach once the show ends. Nasty show host Bobby Lee really got the audience ready to go and provided all of us with many laughs. Now here is Bobby Lee talking about ethnicity on the Just for Laughs Entertainment Report on the True Talk Radio Network. White people, have a round of applause for white people that are here. I love them so much. You know, I'm tired of people going into detail about their ethnicity and nationality. I don't give a fuck what you are. People go into detail like, I'm half German, quarter Irish, part Navajo Indian. You're fucking white. Just say white. I ran to a girl the other day. She's like, I'm half Chinese and half Mexican. You're Filipino. Just say Filipino. White people say racist shit accidentally. That's going to stop. I had a photo shoot for this Harold and Kumar movie, right? Photographer is white. He kept saying, Bobby, um, can we get more expression in your eyes? I'm like, what the f***? There's only two things I do, open and close. This is happy, sad, angry, all that Take the picture before I close them, I did that. I just get nervous when race is brought up. I'm an American citizen, you know? I was at a Starbucks. This really happened. This old man came up to me. And he goes, are you Korean? I got scared. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> then he goes, I fought in the Korean War. I didn't know what to say. I wanted to say thank you. Or I don't fucking know. <laughs> you know? Well, what came out of my mouth was me too. <laughs> then he got mad. What? <laughs> I started improvising. That's my name, Me Too. <laughs> that was Bobby Lee talking about ethnicity, and that just about wraps it up for the entertainment report here on The Nasty Show. Many thanks go to Just for Last for allowing us to provide continued coverage of this summer's Just for Last festival from the funniest city and country in the world, Montreal, Canada. Other comedians who graced the stage here at the Nasty Show included Big J. Okerson, Andrew Schultz, Jessame Peluso, Comedian CP, and Bonnie McFarlane. If you'd like to find out more about the many different shows here at the Just for Last Festival, please go to their website at www.hahaha.com. Until next time, I'm Sheldon Freed, and please keep it tuned right here on the Howie Silberger Show for continued Just for Laughs entertainment reports as well as celebrity interviews on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. This is 60 Second Civics from the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. The need for a national government to deal with other nations was one of the reasons behind the call for the Philadelphia Convention. The Constitution gives the three branches of the national government important powers in the international arena. For example, Congress has the power to regulate commerce among foreign nations and with the Indian tribes. Congress uses this power to regulate imports and exports, encourage or discourage various forms of foreign trade through tariffs and other restrictions, 
set standards for the health and safety of foreign goods, and regulate employment conditions. Congress also has the power to declare war, issue letters of mark and reprisal, and make rules for captures on land and water. Congress has not exercised the power to declare war since the advent of nuclear weapons near the end of World War II. Instead, it has authorized the president to use military force overseas. That's all for today's podcast. The show's theme song is "Complacent" by Cheryl B. Engelhart. You can find Cheryl online at cbemusic.com. Sixty-second civics, where civic engagement only takes a minute. This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. And I would be Howie Silbiger. Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Let me give you that number again, 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. Let's go to my long-suffering producer, Mr. Sheldon Eric Fried. Hello, Sheldon. Hello, Howie. How are you doing? I am absolutely fabulous. How are you? Excellent. Beautiful day. Been a terrific string of a wonderful sunny days here in this neck of the woods. Yeah, it's been. we've been in the middle of a heat wave. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. Well, you know what I would always say, and I would say to people when they say it's too hot, and I said, well, in about three or four or five months, you're going to complain, and instead of getting 30 Celsius, we'll get minus 30 Celsius, and you're going to complain that it's too cold. So either way, you know, I would take this weather over the freezing cold, freezing rain, snowstorms, that kind of stuff, and icy sidewalks any day of the week. I never complain when it's warm. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, right. it's nice to have the air conditioning working too, but yeah. you know, it's still pleasant and you know, you can go I can go outside in the balcony, watch the sunset and you know, just have a have a wonderful time, have my meals out there and everything like that. You can't do that in the winter in this neck of the woods. I mean, you can if you really wanted to. Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I not, my skin is not that thick, <laughs> but you know what? It's funny because I actually have a center block. Yeah. And it's it actually rings true. That it's amazing how one behavior changes in the summer and changes in the winter. All right. So let's let's go to center block. Let's let's hear it. Okay. Well, you know what, Howie? Because yeah. we're in the middle of summer and this heat wave here in the area for the most part, it just absolutely amazes me that most people who are walking around in cities which do not have the luxury of having warm weather all year round, like Miami, LA, exactly on how much our moods really and actually do change. And for me, getting around the city, I usually use Howie Public Transportation because I don't own a vehicle, although I do subscribe to a car sharing service. And when my significant other and myself are together, we share we share the car. But when I use our subway, metro, underground system, or enter any other building, even my own apartment building where I live, people would open up the doors. And, uh, you know, of course, I would uh, say thank you is my appreciation. And they would either nod or say, you're welcome in response. That is wonderful during the summer. But, Howie, what about winter? What about other times of the year? Now, during the winter, for the most part, if people don't know this area where we're broadcasting from, 
in the northern hemisphere it's quite cold over here and because it gets very cold around here people don't seem to be willing to wait and have that door open for people and it really doesn't make any difference whether or not you are male or female as this holds true to both at least in my opinion i on the other hand will always hold the door open when i see someone directly behind me entering either the metro subway station or an office building or anywhere else has our society's behavior really changed that much? Is it that difficult for people to hold the door open when you see an elderly woman, an elderly man, physically challenged person, a parent with a baby stroller perhaps, or a person with shopping bags to hold that door open for just a minute or two? You'd be surprised that that simple gesture of kindness will go a long way and making things a little easier for another person and perhaps a smile of appreciation that you did do something to make their day a little bit brighter and hopefully that'll make your day a little bit brighter and for center block i'm sheldon eric freed on the howie soberger show on the true talk radio network well it's actually a really good question there is chivalry dead that's that's a good question and you know what it's just amazing because i i've seen it with i've seen it men women or kids or whatever the case is and just people's behavior it just changes it's like people just want to get in and they want to get out of the cold, which I understand because we all like to get out of the coldest or freezing rain or snowstorms or whatever. But, you know, just to hold that door open for a split second. I mean, I've seen people that just let the door slam behind them and there would be a parent with a child in a carriage, like a parent holding one child in the hand, a carriage in another, and then holding a hand of a child, one parent doing that, and nobody will hold the door open. And there would be times that going down our subway system, you can't take the carriage down the escalator, so you got to take it down the flight of stairs. you got to be careful. Right. And a lot of people just don't even bother. They just walk right by like there's nobody's business, and they because they got to catch that subway or metro, and they just forget how to be kind. And I just don't understand. But the question is, Sheldon, Sheldon, the question is, do they ever know how to be kind? Yeah, exactly. Do they ever know? And you know what they I mean, say? Uh, it's something we don't teach anymore. No. And it's a learned skill. It's, it's, it's a taught skill and something that we generally don't teach anymore. We don't teach kindness. We don't teach compassion. And it's fu- and it's funny because you could have all these degrees on the wall of u- university and, and college and high school education, but sometimes it's just called street smart. It's called sechel. It's it's called it's also the way you were brought up from your parents, the way I was brought up with my parents. Always respect people. Like if I see somebody behind me, I don't know, so I'll wait an extra thirty seconds to them and I'll hold that door open for them. And they'll and ninety nine point nine nine percent of the They'll say thank you, like, you know, but I'm not doing it for the thank you. I'm just doing it because I, that's the way I was taught. That's the way I was brought up, like you. And uh, I, I try to be as nice as possible. I mean, you know, sometimes it doesn't work, right? Well, happens to everybody. Sometimes it doesn't work. But it's the way you were brought up. I mean, that's the way because you were taught to be nice to people. If people don't want to be nice to you, what can you do? But I look, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people aren't nice to me. It's, uh, it's just a fact of life. And uh, I live with that fact of life every day. I mean, if you follow my Facebook, you'll see there are a lot of people who aren't very nice to me. Yeah, well, it's uh, welcome to social media. Sometimes it brings out the the worst in society. uh, But, you know, that's fine. I I have no issue with that. They don't like my politics. They don't like uh, they don't like what I stand for. They don't like what I support. That's okay. Uh, But but I've always believed and uh, I continue. I guess I'm a a naive optimist, Sheldon. (laughs) Oh, how are you naive optimists? Explain this one. Because I always believed that uh, we could have, that people could have a rational discussion on politics. And I've believed this my whole life. 
and we could have a rational discussion on politics, and then uh, we could go out and we could we could um, we could go out and we could fight. Uh, we could fight about politics, and then we go out and have a cup of coffee. I mean, I always believed that. Why not? And and that doesn't happen anymore. Now, I mean, I mean, why not? I mean, look, you and I have debated political views. I've always respected yours. You always respected mine. We may not agree on everything, but we're still good friends because one has nothing to do with the other. It's 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 just an opinion. Everybody has a right to an opinion. I mean, we do live in a democracy, so I agree. But that, that's not the way the world works today. Let's go to the phones. Hi, who's this? Uh, it's Nathan Howie. Hey, Nathan. Hi. Melbourne. Welcome. Is that the birthday boy? Good, uh, happy birthday, Nathan. Yeah. Happy and happy birthday Thank down under, mate. Uh, thanks, um, um, Sheldon. Yeah, had a great day and uh, went out with family. And, uh, yeah, it was fantastic. And thanks for your well wishes, guys. So what can we do for you tonight, uh, today, tonight? It's today yeah, for you, tonight you for me. Talking, yeah, well, you were talking about the respect, people not opening up the door. Um, people who don't speak to each other, and everyone's on their phones. I yeah, saw it true. last night. I was out at a function, a Jewish function, and most of the people were on their phones. They just there's no there's no communication anymore. No more communication. Nathan, well, I have you to tell you, what? I'll I... give you an example. Nathan, you brought up a really good, interesting subject. I took the sub subway the other day. I'm in a, a one car, and 99.999 percent of the people in that area where I was, were all on their cell phones. There was somebody sitting side by side with one another, obviously friends that they knew each other. Instead of them talking, they were texting one another. Yeah. Uh, I've seen like, that. I used to work Whatever happened to the art of conversation, whatever happened, like uh, years ago, used to take a bicycle, used to go to a friend's house, used to go out, throw, throw, throw a baseball around, go on the park, go on a swing, go and have a picnic somewhere. Yeah. Now everything is all text this, text that, like... I used to work in a high school, and uh, kids used to sit in the cafeteria across the table from each other and text each other instead of talking to each other. Yeah. And I used to, I used to, I used to always go over to them and say to them, "Well, you know, he's sitting like a foot away from you. You could just look up and say hello." And uh, you should see the way these guys type. These kids type, Howard. <laughs> they're good. They're like good. it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they type faster than yeah. you and I type on a computer keyboard. Uh, probably not faster than me, but yeah, they're fast. Yeah. Yeah, fan. it is. It is, unfortunately. And that's the way of the world now. Technology is now getting so advanced now, people aren't talking to each other. You're at a, either a, out for dinner or what, and someone's on their phone, and they're just totally ignoring you. Just put your phone away for about half an hour to an hour and speak to the person. You know, Nathan, I stopped, it doesn't cost anything. I stopped going out with my friends. Uh, there were a couple of friends I used to go out to dinner with all the time. And I stopped going out for them because every time we go to dinner, we'd have be in the middle of a conversation, and suddenly the phone would come out, and that person would zone out and wouldn't talk to me for 20 minutes while they were scrolling their phone. And finally, I said, "Look, you, you know, either we're going out and we're going to spend some time together talking to each other, or we're going out and uh, or you're going out by yourself. Just take your phone out. What do, what do you need me for? I mean, why do you need yeah. my company if you have your phone? Right? It's very sad. Correct. And also, and also, how you were talking." Early in the show, in your introduction about the four senators, yeah, I read no, four congressmen, congresswomen, they're congresswomen, yeah. they're congresswomen. Uh, yeah, congresswomen. Yes, thank you. Uh, and um, I was talking about those four congresswomen that they were going to make a visit to Israel, and the Prime Minister of Israel, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Bibi, 
was uh, um, thinking of um, uh, cancelling their visas to come to Israel. I think, in my opinion, they should come and have a look at the other side of the uh, of the coin. I agree. What's happening in the Palestinian? Yeah. I agree, and uh, it's something I'm going to be talking about on the uh, Wednesday show on the political hitman. Uh, should they be allowed oh, in? Yes, should I'll they not be allowed in? in. I'll be definitely, yeah, I'll be definitely listening in, Howie, and uh, yeah, I'll ring up and make a comment and uh, and and see what you think. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they should be allowed in, and I think uh, not only should they be allowed in, they should be given the, the, the grand tour so they understand what the country is. Correct. Well, as they say, Correct. education is and key, right? Be- of course. And the grand and tour, I mean, the other side. take them everywhere. Show them yeah. everything. Yeah, and I should show them everything and see what 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 is actually happening in 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 the wider Middle East. And also, um, what do you think of the um, British tanker trying to be um, seized by the Iranians? Well, you know, I think I think Iran should have been taken care of a long time ago, and I think. I think uh, delaying it and delaying it and delaying it is only putting the world in danger. Uh, I really think that uh, Israel and the United States should take care of the Iranian problem immediately. Uh, I've, I've thought that for the and last why, decade. Uh, uh, well, guys, what do you, what do you think, uh, Howie and Sheldon? Do you think uh, uh, something will happen with Iran? Or do you think uh, uh, nothing will? And the other second point is... I have this sneaky feeling that there's something going to happen between Israel and Lebanon because it's very, very shaky there. The, uh, the, the problem with Iran is that everyone's afraid of the oil, of, of, of the, um, of the oil supply disappearing. So the oil supply in, uh, in Iraq, when, when, they, when they attacked Iraq and they shut down the oil in Iraq, the, um, right. the, the price of a barrel of oil skyrocketed to the, the highest point in, in the history of the world. Uh, they're afraid the same thing happening. Iran supplies eighty percent of the world's oil. They're afraid of um, they're afraid yeah. of that happening in Iran. So if Iran turns off the taps, we're all screwed. That's that's really what it comes See, down that's to. That's the biggest thing I've always yeah. said for years that when we had the the um, the Iran uh, crisis and uh, and I could tell you that you know the years ago they should have looked into alternative energy and not always having to depend on oil. Okay, so every time alternative energy came up, so. So in the uh, in the in the in the twenties in the twenties Ford developed a steam a steam patrol uh, I'm sorry an alcohol an alcohol an ethanol controlled car so instead of using gas used ethanol and uh, they brought in prohibition the the car companies pushed the government to bring in prohibition to stop the ethanol factories from producing these kind of cars these ethanol cars then um, then you move on down the line uh, they they in the eighties they came up with the battery cars cars with batteries right the hybrids. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the the uh, the car companies, the oil companies, once again pushed to uh, to kill the uh, electric car. So the '80s electric car disappeared, and we only saw electric cars again in the two thousand, the late two thousands, early uh, early two thousand tens, right? Well, perhaps so, they should kill off the oil companies. So, so maybe the you know like uh, there's strength strength in numbers because you know what, I remember those humongous. Ga- I'm sure you remember this, Howie, when you would go to the states. You remember these huge lineups. Going around waiting to fill up a tank of gas. Yeah. And you know what? This has to stop. This has to. We have to stop depending on countries like Iran, which can basically hold the world hostage. Iraq, Saudi Arabia, all of these oil OPEC countries, because they're all no good when it comes 
when it comes when it comes to the way they treat the rest of the world, their human rights and everything else. The the and worst we, the worst part about this whole thing, Sheldon, is that Canada has enough oil in the tar sands yeah. to to supply oil for North America for the next hundred years. Absolutely. Okay. And and they don't process the oil because uh, nobody wants fracking. So so suddenly, and it's too exp- and it's also ex. ex- extremely expensive extremely expensive and nobody wants fracking so if you stop the fracking you can't take the oil sounds so you know it's it's a catch-22 here yeah nathan thank you so much for calling appreciate it take care of nathan healthy happy birthdays all right that was nathan from melbourne australia sheldon you were talking about people being nice to each other yep and uh, i have something to play for you there's a guy Uh named charlie harari he's a um he is a inspirational speaker he's a jewish inspirational speaker Okay. And I just happened to catch this the other day. I didn't know you were going to talk about uh, people being nice to each other and this whole lesson about being nice to each other. And I just happened to see this the other day. It happened uh, last week. This oh, was, interesting. This was posted on July 18th at uh, 9.48 p.m. So uh, it was just a couple of days ago. So uh, cool. listen to this. This is kind of cool. Sure. Hey, everybody. I just want to share with you a quick story that happened to me today. Um, so I spoke today for a company in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Great company. Love them. Generous. Great people. So they said, listen, don't drive in. It's Brooklyn. We'll send you a car. So they sent me Ubers back and forth. Speech is over. I go downstairs waiting on the street for the Uber, and it says one minute away. 20 seconds later, I see this big, huge SUV turn the corner fast. Can you picture it? Blaring music. Young guy pulls right up to me. And I'm thinking, here we go. You know, you ever, you ever, go to, you ever sit behind in an Uber, and they pick you up, and the music is blaring and like they don't even like think like hey should I turn it down you ever have that so he, I pick I get in the car I'm thinking okay you know whatever I'll turn down the music whatever it is I'll try to get some work done sit in the car as I sit in the car he turns down the music I'm thinking that's so nice and as he turns down the music for a second all of a sudden he touches the dial and he turns up the music again I'm thinking what and I listen and it sounds like different music and a couple seconds into the song plays and it's Hasidic music. He's playing like rocking Hasidic music. So I look over at the guy's name and his name is Aziz. And I'm thinking, I don't know any Jews named Aziz. So I look at his last name, I'm like, not a Jewish last name. And I'm like, what is going on over here? He's playing Hasidic music? He turns around to me and goes, do you like it? I said, yeah, I can't, what? He says, I drive around here all the time. Because when I pick up a lot of Jews, and every time I pick up Jews, I say to myself, I have my music that I like, but I want them to feel comfortable in my car. So I should play the music that they want, not the music that I want. So I asked one of my passengers for some songs, and I built a playlist. This is incredible. I built a playlist, so every time I pick up a Jew, I'll play his or her music. So this way, when they're sitting in the back of my car, they feel as comfortable as possible. And I'm thinking, that's phenomenal. So many times in life, we ask ourselves, how do we better impact people? How do we show people how we care? And we think it's money or big things, but it's not. If you really wanna show someone that you care, you show someone that you are thinking of them to what they want. You show someone that you're trying to see the world through their eyes. What makes them happy? What are they worried about? What are the things that they want? Here's a guy that just changed his playlist and he 
put a couple of songs on his phone. And I have never been more touched in an Uber in my life. I must have thanked that guy 30 times. I gave him as many stars as I could. I gave him the biggest tip that I could. I must have given it for what? Because he took the time to think of the world from my perspective. Sometimes in life, the greatest things you could do for somebody is just see the world from their perspective. Just ask yourself what they want, what they need. Because many times, it doesn't cost anything. It's just, it just shows that you care. And so, I hope you see this. Whoever, Aziz, I hope you see this. But if not, I learned a lot from my Uber driver today. So there you go, Shell. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That really is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So he's saying exactly the same thing you were saying. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like all it takes is just a, you know, like he, like he would say, just, you know, uh, let the person see the world on your perspective, on your end. And you know what? I think if more people were to do that, I think people would be a lot better off. Wouldn't they? Yeah, because it's called, you know, intercooperation. Doesn't make a difference what religion you're in. Everybody understands and, you know, what everybody should try to get along. But it takes a certain person to do that. And that Uber driver, I re- you know, if he for some reason has dialed into this show, I really want to thank you for the bottom of my heart because for really being that considerate and really caring about your passengers and caring about their perspective, the world in their perspective, through their eyes. Yeah, I think it's it? very touching. It is very touching. And, I, um, and you know, I saw it, and uh, I was going to talk about it on the show tonight, and um, and I didn't get to it. I figured I'd bring it up when you were on the show, and then you brought up this uh, the center block, and you were talking exactly about this. Yeah. That's why I had the clip so handy, because I was planning to play it for you. So we could talk about this, not knowing that your center block was about the exact same thing. And you know what? I actually started looking into that about an hour before showtime because I wasn't even sure what I was going to be able to contribute because it's been a crazy, hectic weekend. But I saw that and I said, you know what? I, I just noticed just the other day when I, when I, a matter of fact, I pick up, picked up our media passes. And yeah. that's exactly what happened. Like people were open, always opening up the doors going to the metro station and plazdes are like uh, you know holding the elevator door open at the uh, Hilton Doubletree hotel going up to the press room and i can tell you like it it's a it's a totally different way cuz people are in a much better mood you know people are happy with this weather they're embracing you the downtown streets are crowded everybody has a wonderful time and you know and you've seen this too look we bumped it to each other at the uh, at the uh, nasty show and just walking, my, my uh, significant other and I walking, we took a nice walk down the Cafe de Spectacle and everything. And just seeing people just happy and joyous and they're just having a great time and even the jazz festival. And this is what makes this city so exciting. This time of the year when the weather, you know, we only have two, three months of the year. We have this type of wonderful weather and people just embrace it and people's moods just absolutely change. It's fantastic. It's incredible. It but is. In the winter, yeah. it's just people are miserable. Yeah, well, it's freezing. Yeah, it's miserable, and people just don't want to do anything for anybody. They just, you know, and, and it's like we all hibernate and everything. And but in the summer, it's a totally different perspective. And I that's why I had to bring up that on my center block. I figured, yeah. And I, I think it's an important point. I think it's an important lesson that we should learn, an important yeah. lesson that we should try to teach, 
And, and this is something university just does not teach you. Well, high I school, mean, high school, you're really learning this in elementary and high school. Shall yeah. We? Yeah, exactly. Once you get to university, if you haven't learned this by university, it's kind of too late. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? It's uh, really up to the role of parents to say, listen, do something nice for somebody. You yeah, know, I, I, we're not talking about giving money. We're not talking, just be kind. Hold that door open. If you see somebody having a problem, you know, with a carriage, with a stroller, with a lot of shopping bags, take that extra couple of minute time out. It's not a big deal. And you, and you know what? The rewards are the appreciation, the smile of the other people's face. You know, I remember it, uh, years ago, Sheldon, that um, yeah. I was I used to, I, I've worked with young people my whole life. And I remember years ago, a teenage boy telling me that his father wanted him to wash his car. And uh, I said, oh, okay. So I said, so you're going to do it? He says, absolutely not. So I said, why aren't you going to wash your father's car? I'm just curious why you're not going to wash your father's car. And he said, because he didn't offer me any money to wash his car. And I said, why would he have to pay you to wash his car? Considering the fact of what his father has probably done for him, God knows, and his mother has done for him. Right, the sacrifices, the investment, the... uh, the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars in education, the hundreds of thousands of dollars in clothing and entertainment sure. and, and food and, and, and shelter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I said to him, well, well, why would your father have to pay you to wash his car? So the kid looked at me and said, well, if you took it to a car wash, you'd have to pay for it. So why wouldn't he have to pay me? And I stopped and I thought, if I have to explain this to this kid, then it's very, it's, it's actually really, really sad. It's very sad. If I have to explain this to the kid, this is an extremely horrific situation. And if he's telling me this, how many more of his friends and relatives and family and, and people he knows are also thinking the same way? So could you imagine if this kid has, uh, uh, this kid, this student has children, yeah, he has and a kid. Children, and the children would go up to him the same thing and say, uh, and he would ask them, can you wash my cart? No. Can you pay me for it? Yeah. Could you bring in the groceries? No. Yeah. Could you uh, clean your room? No. Because people forget where they came from. People forget what sacrifices their parents have made. And I think it's really, you know, it's a, it's a real check in reality. You know, it's really something that people have to remember. And it should be second nature. Like you and I, it's second nature. But it, people just forget. They get raised up, best of care with their parents, and all of a sudden they grow up and they forget so much. They forget where they came from. They forget where they're going, maybe in business or personal. They, they lack respect of people. They totally lack respect. And like you said, if you have to tell this person the difference between taking a car in the car wash where a person's livelihood depends on it because it's a business versus a parent who who provided food, shelter, clothing, and sacrifices, then I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Like, I, I really wonder what this world is coming to. It's, it's The problem is that uh, there are parents out there who are raising their kids as friends rather than as kids. Yeah. And so that authority, you know, you, um, you and I, well, you come from a generation, you're, you're a generation older than I am. And you come from a generation where you said yes, sir, to your father when your father said something. You're not kidding. 
right? I come from a generation where uh, where I said, uh, yeah, dad, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, I'll do it soon. And my dad said, no, you're going to do it now, and I did it now. Because they still had authority over me. Mm-hmm. My generation raised their kids to be friends with them. Oh, I don't have to be uh, their, you know, I, I'm their parent and their friend. You can't be a parent and a friend. It doesn't no. work. No. It doesn't work. There has to be a line. You know what the thing is, too, also, and I don't want to get into a whole spiel about this because, of course, laws differ in each country, with also a lot of the laws where years ago, and I'm not saying I'm for or against or whatever, but years ago, parents used to give you a smack. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that with the laws being the way they are, as a parent, you cannot smack your child. But, you know, you don't even have to smack them. You just have to teach them respect. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing, and the and kids knowing this, you know, knowing this and knowing what's out there. But look, you know, they don't respect the parents in this generation as they used to do when you and I were were growing up as kids. Well, look, Sheldon, I have no issue with uh, with a parent giving a smack to a kid who does something wrong. I, yeah. I really have no issue with that. I think it's effective. I mean, not every day, not every not every no, five exactly, minutes, exactly. not every not every half hour, but you know. Yeah. I agree with you totally. The yeah, occasional yeah. smack to say, "Hey, yeah. buddy, get into line," and uh, that's usually the last resort, anyway. Yeah, right. It's usually the kid, you know, and that's the way it should be as a last resort. And again, like you said, not often, not very, very often, but it's only because if you keep smacking your child all the time, well, then you're the just, child's going to be immune to it because he's not going to know or she's not going to know what's right from wrong. Well, aside from that, you're just beating your child. That's that exactly. child abuse. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah. If if you give your kid a, a smack to um, to drive home the point, like I told you a hundred times not to do that, you're still doing it. Smack! Don't do it again. Um, that's not child abuse. That's 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 making the point. And that's discipline. That's called discipline. It's not called child abuse. It's controlled. Exactly. You're not yeah. there to hurt the kid. You're just there to drive home the point. And sometimes a good smack drives home the point. The kid's like, and oh, believe you me, that a, a parent doesn't feel feel good that he or she has smacked the child believe you me i'm sure not you know it really you know you really don't like to do it because again you're causing pain on your child and you don't want to do that because you don't want to cause pain on your child but you want to discipline effectively to make sure that to steer him and her in the right direction but obviously in very very moderate 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 i still believe that if a young kid knows that uh, that if i do this I'm going to get a whack. Uh, that young kid will think twice before doing that. Exactly. So sometimes yeah. you need a little bit of fear. Sometimes you yep. need a little bit of fear yep. in order to drive your kid straight. 100%. Yep. Uh, I, I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I know there are laws against it. I know there are a lot of people who are screaming now at the radios going, what the hell are you talking about? But really, I have no issues with that. And if you disagree with me, by the way, you could call in. We're live. one 877 that's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. You don't agree with me? Call me. But again, at the same time, just to be really concise and clear, yeah, it's not that you know if the if child sneezes the wrong way, you're going to smack him or her. It's obviously it's a last, last, last resort. I wouldn't even say last. The child. Sheldon, and look, I, if the parent warns the child and the child doesn't do it again, great. You know because it, you know you know that's great because the parent will not smack the child. The child will respect the parent's wishes and not to do it and will learn that if he or she does do it, there could be consequences also. Sheldon, I wouldn't say it's a last resort. I wouldn't go that far. I would say it is a, it is a tool to drive the message home. 
Okay, fair enough. So, I mean, it could be fair the first enough. resort, too. It could be like, oh, you don't know, you put your hand in a cookie jar, a little slap on the hand. Don't do that. Kind of like what you do with a dog, right? You, you mm-hmm. tap him on the nose. Don't make in the house. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just to drive the point home. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. That, that's not acceptable. No. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Yep. So, so I wouldn't say last resort because last resort means that you've tried everything else and, and now, now, now you're, you're so frustrated, all you want to do is hit them. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about because yeah. that okay. would be child abuse. Fair enough. Okay. Um, uh, you know, if, if you get to the point where you're, you're angry enough to go and beat your kid, that's oh, child that's abuse. That's another story. That's, yeah. yeah that, then you, that's you have story. the problem, not the kid. Yeah. Right? But yeah. if you yeah. slap the kid's hand because the kid put his hand in the cookie jar and you slap the kid's hand and say, no, don't do that ever again. That kid will learn that he can't put his hand in the cookie jar. He's going to get a slap. Yeah. And that used kid- to hear horror stories, though, Howie. Uh, I remember uh, during uh, one of the shows on the radio station I used to work at many years ago with you. Yeah. And one caller called in said that uh, that the child was, was badly bruised. Okay. Uh, because the father used a belt on the child. And? And the child had to go to hospital, and apparently social services were called in. Okay, so there might have been a little problem with that father. Exactly. You know, so that's, and, and, and I'm not you know, a opponent. I, I am sure in your generation, your father used a belt on you, and I'm sure there were never any welts. He didn't use a belt on me, but he, he did smack me. And I'm sure he didn't leave any yeah. marks, because he and didn't I, do it yeah. to hurt you. He did it to drive home the point. Exactly. That he did. Um, and I didn't have to call him sir, but I had to call him dad. I mean, that, yeah. that goes without question. And, you know, when they use the strap in school, they, they didn't leave welts because it wasn't, the point wasn't to beat the crap out of the kid. The point yeah. was to, uh, to, to, to discipline the kids. Hey, and, you, and you know what? You went to school when they were giving straps? I did not. No. I'm, okay, because I'm I didn't either because I went to public school. And uh, went to public school in, in the neighborhood I grew up in, and they never did that when I was there in kindergarten up to grade seven before I left for private school. So they never did that. Although I did hear that the school board used to do that in certain schools. Yeah, uh, I had a teacher who came from one of those schools, a French teacher, and I remember we used to sit in class, and uh, our school wasn't a school that gave the strap or a school that uh, that that did. Um, that, that disciplined our kids through violence of any kind. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, if we talked in her class, she would come by with a bundle of rulers in her hand. Oh, and boy. she would just whack your knuckles with them. And uh, I remember clearly, right? Uh, you know, the first time she did it, I was like, what the heck? <laughs> I mean, you're more surprised than in pain because, like, what? She just, what what, what just happened, right? Yeah. Uh, but then you got the point. Uh, you know, if you're going to talk in her class, you'll be prepared to have bloody knuckles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You, and you learned pretty quick not to talk in your class. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know what? And at one point, the school boards were used as a more disciplinary thing because the parents themselves didn't want to do it. And they'll say, okay, you know what? You're going to the schools. Let the schools handle the whole thing. You know what? Parents have to take responsibility for their children. Absolutely. That's, that w- that's my point. You just raised my point. Because years ago, there used to be much better parent-teacher associations. Uh, through the school that I went to, my parents were very heavily involved in the in the uh, PTAs, the local PTAs, and the parents were always were always uh, notified on every single school matter. And it was a big difference back then, and that's why the educational system at that point was much better than the educational system now, in the elementary and high schools. You know, let me let me tell you a story. I, I was teaching at a private school, 
And uh, one day I was in a grade 11 class and I gave him a quiz and I gave back the quiz to the students. And one kid didn't do so well on the quiz. It happens. Uh, you take an exam, you take a quiz, you don't do so well. Happens, right? The kid okay. didn't do so well on the, uh, on the test. So I handed them back and we had 26 people in the classroom. And this kid was sitting right in the middle of the class. And he bangs his hand on the desk and says, what the F is this? Like loud enough for everybody to hear, right? Mm-hmm. And he gets up, he kicks his chair behind him, gets up, aggressively gets up, and says even louder, right at me, what the F is this? Oh, boy. So I looked at him and I said, could you sit down, please? Uh, you got your mark. That is what you got in the exam, uh, in, the, in the quiz. I, I'm, I'm sorry you're not, you're not satisfied with it. We could talk about it after class, but sit, sit down right now, please. Right? He picked mm-hmm. up his chair and he threw his chair at me. Oh, boy. Over the, heads of all the, over the heads of the four kids sitting in front of him. I mean, putting everybody in danger pretty much. And he basically flipped out. He flipped his desk over. I had to oh, empty boy. the classroom. I told everybody out. So everybody got up and ran out of the room. And he stayed there and he started throwing things and destroying the classroom. Wow. We had to call the police. So the police came and uh, he calmed down. And uh, two days later, they sent him home. Of course, he was suspended and he had to come in with his parents. So a few days later, he shows up with his mother. And I'm called into a meeting with the principal and the mother. The kid's not there. Uh-huh. And the principal says, could you, tell this, the, could you tell the mother what happened? So I told the story. This is what happened. And I told the story exactly where it happened. I mean, I have no reason to lie. The mother looks at me and says to me, my son? Impossible. He's the nicest kid you could ever meet. He would never do something like that. Most parents will say that. He would never, ever do something like that. Mm-hmm. You must be lying. And I looked at her and I said to her, listen, I said to her, I have 26 witnesses. We could call in any kid in the class. I mean, everyone was petrified. They all ran out of the class. They were all petrified. Um, your son freaked out in class and this is what happened. Maybe you, sh- maybe you should uh, consider you know, having a conversation with him or, or, or perhaps you know, seeking out uh, further professional advice on what to do because he has a temper problem and it's a, it's a, it's a major issue. In fact, I'm not so comfortable letting him back into my classroom. And she looked at me so dumbfounded. I can't believe that my son did this. And of course, you didn't exactly have cameras in your classroom either. No. Okay. I can't believe my son did this. It's impossible. He's the nicest kid. He would never do something like that. Hmm. And I, I just looked at her and I said, well, you know, that's what happened, right? I, uh, there's no point in arguing with somebody who's not going to believe you. And there's no point in arguing with someone who's so deluded not to believe that their kid is capable of doing something. Wow. So this is the kind of parent that you're dealing with. Because uh, she wasn't the only one. You know, all sorts of discipline problems and all sorts of uh, the same kind of reaction. My son? No way. My daughter? What are you talking about? I had a girl. Uh, I'll give you another example because this is uh, even a better example than that one. I had a girl who, who plagiarized a term paper. Mm. So she went, on to, um, she went on to two different websites, and she copied and pasted and handed it in as her own work. So that's an automatic zero, right? Yep. I mean, yep. you can't take somebody else's work, claim it's yours, and get marked. No, exactly, exactly. So that's an automatic it, zero. 
As you could recall in university, that's exactly what they put in each outline. If you plagiarize your, your, uh, or if you cheat in an exam, you're, you get a zero thrown, and you could be suspended. Thrown out of the university. Thrown yeah. out, right out of the university, exactly. And it's very clearly, well clearly indicated in every single outline of every course I've ever taken in university. So in high school, I used to tell the kids, listen, I said, uh, you could use resources, and please do. But don't copy and paste, because if you copy and paste, you're stealing. And if you're stealing, I'm going to catch you, and I'm going to catch you, I'm going to give you a zero. And cite your notes. to yeah. Use your citation. Yeah. Exactly. I said, I'm going to give you a zero, and don't think you could fool me, because you can't fool me. I'll know when you're copying and pasting. I will find it, and I will give you a zero. So um, this girl decided to try me out, and she, uh, she copied and pasted, and I gave her a zero. So... She came up to me after class when I handed everything back, and she said to me, why did I get a zero? So I explained to her that uh, you, know, you can't copy and paste, and I showed her where she got her sources from, where she got the exact copy that was in her paper, where it came from. I gave her the links. This is where this point came from. This is where this point came from. Line by line, I gave her all the links where she got everything from. And she went home. <laughs> the next day, I get a call in the school from her parent, her mother. She says to me, what kind of BS is this? Why did my daughter get a zero? So I said, because she cheated. Cheaters don't get marked. I'm sorry. She cheated on the test, on the, on the paper. Cheaters don't get marked. She said to me, I'm coming down to the school. I'm going to have your job. I said, all right. She came down to the school and we sat down in the principal's office again. And she, uh, she said, I don't understand why my daughter got a zero. Now I had all the documentation with me and I showed them, look, the, you know, this line came from this website, this line came from that website, this came from here, this came from there. There were maybe three words in the entire 1,500 word uh, paper that, uh, that were hers. Everything else Good. was copied and pasted. Good heavens. Okay. Wow. So um, the mother said, and your course is, is a BS course anyway. Oh. Why does it make a difference? Oh, that's good. And the, and the child is learning from that parent. Oh, my God. So I looked at the mother and I said to her, what do you do for a living? She says, I own a store. I said, oh, you do? She says, yeah. I said, where's your store located? She says, I have a store at uh, Plattville Marie. I said, wow, you must pay a lot in rent there. She says, yeah, I do. I said, you must do very well there because stores in Plasma Marie do very well, right? You must do very well there. She says, yeah. She says, store is very successful. I said, oh, that's so nice. I said, what do you sell? She says, I sell uh, winter, winter clothing, uh, jackets and scarves and mittens and stuff like that. I said, oh, do you have anything that runs around $5? She says, yeah. She says, I have a couple of scarves that are 5 bucks." I said, so if I came into your store, could I take the $5 scarf and walk out with it? She says to me, no. I said, why not? She says, well, because you're stealing. I said, what? I don't understand, I said to her. The $5 <laughs> that the scarf, so, so in the $5, on the $5 scarf, you're making a $1.50 profit, right? That $1.50 has absolutely no impact on your yearly, on your yearly profit margin. It's not going to change your profit margin whatsoever. It won't change your, your style of life or anything else. If I take it, it's BS to you. It's a total BS scarf. 
It's a dollar fifty profit. It's total BS. It's a throwaway. It's a giveaway. You don't care about it. I said to her, but if I walked out of that store, you would call the police and have me arrested for a dollar fifty. And she looked at me and she says, Oh. So you see, you have to educate the kids and the parents, right? Mm-hmm. So I said to her, I said, there's no difference between your $1.50 throwaway scarf and my term paper, which you consider a throwaway term paper. There's no difference between one and the other. The same way you would call the police on the my $1.50 stealing your $1.50, I should, I, I'm calling the police on her stealing everyone else's work and passing off as her own. There's no difference. And she went, oh, I understand now. So what did what did she say afterwards? If she she said like she said, did she say she was going to speak to her daughter? Did she what did she say afterwards? She called me a smart aleck and she left the the uh, and she left the uh, the meeting. Okay. And the principal looked at me and said to me, "I love the analogy, but you really can't talk to our parents like that." But you made a very valid point. Uh, yeah, I like just, you made an extreme because that's exactly what it is. I, I just want what, to, because you're stealing if you don't pay the, the you know the five dollars, and she's stealing because she's not cite, giving the proper citation to the author of the the pieces of work. Exactly, and I just wanted to make that point to her. I just want her to understand with an analogy that she would understand. And it's the same thing. Like if you you're playing copyrighted music, if you don't pay the royalties, you're stealing. You know, you're stealing from that artist or, or writer. Of course. Because this is how they make their living. Yeah, and that's exactly, you know, that's exactly, uh, you know, people, because of technology and because of everything else, and now teachers have to have special screening software whereby it could detect plagiarism. Yeah, I could usually detect plagiarism just by the way the paper's written. And especially if you know the students and you know their intellectual ability, all of a sudden if they're coming up with words that are, well, wait a minute, they're but, a li- that's a little bit more advanced to them. But even forget I mean, about that, just the sentence structure and the paragraph structure. Yeah. You, know, you just take a look. You can read the first three lines and know that they didn't write it. Yeah. I, ha- I had a couple of students who wrote two. I had two, pa- two students who handed in the exact same paper. They thought I was a moron, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it was formatted wow. the exact. The only difference in the two papers was the, uh, the change of name. Other than that, oh the paper was exactly the same from the first word to the last word. Uh, even the formatting was the same. Everything was exactly the same. They were identical papers. Um, but I had two other students who handed in identical papers, but they were written differently. So the, what I mean to say is the, uh, the logical thread in the paper was exactly the same. The mm-hmm. arguments made in the paper were exactly the same, mm-hmm. but they were totally different papers. That is funny. Nice. And I read them both, and I, I, it was the exact same paper, but it was different. It wasn't, I couldn't say they copied each other because they were exactly the same, but they were different, right? Wow. And, and it was kind of impressive because these guys obviously worked together, and they obviously helped each other or obviously stole from the same place. It's, um, kind of, it's called outsmarting the teacher or attempt thereof. Uh, it was brilliant, really. Uh, yeah. And I called these two boys over. Uh, it was two boys. I called the two boys over, and I said to them, uh, I, I called them over individually, and I said to the first one, did somebody, uh, did you show your paper to anybody else, or did somebody help you with this paper? And he said, no. I said, really? He's like, yeah. And I called the second kid over, and I said to ask him the same question. He says, no, no, I wrote it on my own. I said, really? So you didn't talk to each other, you didn't discuss it, you didn't, 
didn't go over strategy. You didn't, you didn't work together at all. And they're like, no. So I gave each one the other guy's paper. And I said, want to read these papers and tell me how this happened? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and they read the papers and I was watching their faces because usually there's a tell. You know, when they're reading it, some one of them will get a little grin on his face or, you know, his eyes just grin. Exactly. There's usually body some, language, kind of, yeah. some kind of body language tell. <laughs> and I'm, I'm watching these two boys and there's no tell, right? They actually wrote the papers on their own. That's funny. And, and they wrote the exact same paper. And they didn't collaborate at all. They were just they they totally did it independently. But they wrote the same paper. They, they spoke. They spoke about uh, what they were going to write, uh, not on the telephone in school. The day before they wrote the paper, they they, they had a discussion in school. How are you going to handle this? What what angle are you going to take? Oh my god! That's and that funny. was the exact. That was the only conversation they swear up and they swore up and down. And even after they graduated, I asked them again because I you know if they pulled the wool over my eyes, that's fine. I just want to know, right? That's funny. And I asked him again. They swore up and down, even after graduation, that uh, no, no, I swear to you, sir, uh, no, no, we didn't. That is funny. That is hysterical. So even when they had no reason to lie to me anymore, like they had a reason to lie when they were still students, right, if they did it. But mm-hmm. even after the fact where they had no reason to lie anymore, they were already graduated, they were out of the school, there was nothing I could do, they both insisted that uh, they wrote the paper on their own. That is funny. And that have, is hilarious. I have no reason to, to doubt them either. I mean, why would they lie to me? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's so funny, though. It doesn't happen often, but I guess it's possible. I mean, you know, the odds of that happening are astronomical, but <laughs> I was just like, whoa. <laughs> it wow, was the, the, that, the, is, I, that is really something. That's funny. That's I, a, that's. I'm telling you, Sean, you sit there with, uh, you know, I had 150 students, right? Yeah. And you sit there with 150 term papers, and you're reading them. And after a while, they all just start sounding the same because, I mean, it's 150 papers you have to read. Right, so you're trying to pay attention, and the way I did it was I didn't look at the name of the student. I had to put the cover page on the back page instead of the front page, so I didn't know whose whose papers they were when I was reading them because I didn't want to be biased by their name. Because you know, as a teacher, you like certain students better than other students. You know, there's all sorts there's all sorts of dynamic there, right? And so I always read these things blind, and um, and and I got to these two papers. I, yeah, I read them like three papers apart from each other. Okay, I was going to ask you how many papers apart. Okay. Like three or four it's... papers apart from each other. <laughs> and when I read the second one, I read the first one and I marked it. And then I started reading. The, you know, I read two other papers or three other papers in between. And then I started reading again. I said, didn't I just read this? <laughs> I was like, like, hold on a second. This is awfully familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and so so I went back. I started leafing through the, 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 the previous ones. And, uh, and I found it. I was like, Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember funny. reading this. <laughs> That's hilarious. That is so funny. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, like that happened the first time too, but they were the exact same papers. I recognized the paper. I was like, I just corrected this. Like, why am I doing this again? Right. But, um, but with the other one, it was like, uh, I, I remember reading this. <laughs> and God, usually so when, funny. usually when I remember reading something, it, it's usually the source material. Like, if they're plagiarizing, I won't give them a paper that I hadn't done the research on. So I do the research myself. So usually if they're plagiarizing, I recognize the source material. But here I was recognizing the, um, the other kid's paper. It was just so weird. That's yeah. funny. That's that's yeah. that's one. I'm sure you must have had a couple of really interesting talks with some of the other staff in the teacher's lounge. I asked them if, they, if they've ever experienced anything like this. 
And I, I, I kept copies of these papers because I wanted to show them, right? <laughs> I went into the lounge and I said, hey, look, like, look at these two papers. Could you read these two papers and tell me if this was plagiarized, if they worked together, if they, if, you know, if they copied? And they looked and they, you know, people read the papers and they were like, it's obviously, um, obviously they must have worked together. I was like, no, they said they didn't. You know what? I, yeah. I, I, again, your uniqueness shines through once again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they they managed to they managed to get me right. I was like, all right, that's funny. Um, and, to, and to this very day, when you ask them or when you ask them, yeah, recently, they swear up and down. That's incredible. That's funny. Uh, yeah, there was another one also. Uh, there was this girl who was you know had a boyfriend, and the boyfriend really wasn't the smartest kid in the class. You get those kids who aren't the smartest kids in the class. Okay. And they had this term paper to write, and uh, this kid really wasn't capable. Like he wasn't he wasn't intellectually capable of writing a term paper, of doing the work to write the term paper. He, he just wasn't the kind of kid who was going to do it, right? Okay. And he handed in this really eloquent term paper, <laughs> really well written, well researched, well everything. It was really a well good, copied is more like it. It was a good term paper, and it wasn't copied. I couldn't find a co- yeah, I couldn't find a source that they copied from, right? Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm reading the paper. And do you ever have this when you're reading something and suddenly you hear the voice in your head and it turns into the voice of the author? Ah, okay, okay, okay. So, so if I write something and you're reading my writing and you're hearing me read it to you? you yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so as I'm reading this, the girl's voice is reading to me, right? Because everything is written exactly the way she speaks, exactly her mannerisms, her her tone, her, her her tempo. And obviously she was a very intelligent student. She, she really was, yeah. Eloquent. Yeah, okay. And so I'm reading, uh, I'm re- I'm reading this term paper and I'm 100% sure that she wrote it. But I can't prove it, right? So I take, okay. it, to, I take it to the vice principal and I say to him, uh, could you read this paper and tell me who you think wrote this paper? Like I took off the name. And I handed it to him. I said, tell me who you think wrote this paper. And he read it and he gave me the girl's name. Well, right away, he knew it was the girl. Right away, yeah. Okay. Uh, Now, did she she get it from, did she directly copy and pasted it from a source, or was that? No, no, she wrote the paper. Okay, okay. But she absolutely denied it. He absolutely denied it. I couldn't prove it, so we had to give him a mark. Jeez. Yeah. (laughs) Crazy, crazy stuff. Unbelievable, eh? Tell you the stuff we go through as teachers is is unbelievably crazy. I can imagine because I know my my significant other. I'm sure would have stories to tell you, and hopefully, because I know we're running out of time, we'll meet up on the uh, Elon Gold show. Yes, sir. Uh, yep, two for one, and uh, also uh, the uh, She the People, and we're going to have reports on that one as well. All right, that's it. We're all out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. I appreciate everyone who called in, everyone who didn't call in. Thank you so much, and. Uh, <laughs> We will be back. We'll be back again next week.